Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I'm Joy Rios, and today my guest is Wima Hoover, who's a DEI thought leader. Wima is responsible for leading a global team to increase representation in hiring, progression, and retention of minorities while focusing on inclusion. She helps us understand why increasing the emotional intelligence of our leaders to reinforce the culture of their companies is critically important. All right, let's get to it. It's so nice to meet you. I'm really happy that we're getting this time to talk, but can you share your place in healthcare and health IT? What is it that you do for a living and what is your contribution? (laughs) Absolutely. So thank you for just the energy that we started this off and just really connecting. And it's a pleasure being here, Joy. It's really a pleasure being here. I I was able to hear some of your past podcasts and very and so um, delighted and impressed with your work. My name is Wima Hoover. I am now the principal and CEO and president of Wima Hoover Advisors. In my previous life, I worked in healthcare for 16 years and I still support them on a consulting basis now. I'm a former chief diversity officer and head of culture and engagement for Sanofi, where I lived in Paris, uh, France, at the, at the headquarters and worked in that capacity. And prior to that, I worked at Pfizer, leading global diversity and inclusion, and worked at Bristol-Myers Squibb in a myriad of roles from organizational development to HR business partner and leading their diversity, equity, and inclusion as COE at the end of my tenure there. And now I really focus on creating cultures that will not only 
leverage and harness diversity and inclusion, but optimize it and use it as an advantage. So a lot of the work that I focus on with regard to healthcare is healthcare disparities and really looking at the cultural influences that either help or hinder communities of people, women, communities of color that are able to have the same health out and really addressing those sometimes historic, sometimes cultural, sometimes access issues that that happen and, and partnering to really address them. I also work to support equity and racial injustice, as we have seen over the past 18 months, a significant civil movement in our country and also abroad, because when it started, I was actually living in France and it resonated in all of Europe and Asia as well with regard to Black Lives Matter, xenophobia and hate crime, Asians, LGBT exclusion alike. And now I do consulting across um, a number of industries. So having some consulting practices within healthcare. And I'm also an executive coach. And right now, a lot of my work that I'm doing coaching in is around the equity and inclusion space, but for leaders so that in these moments where it is very dynamic and the social issues that are getting within organizations are having this sensationalism, if you will, mm-hmm. in the public eye, how can leaders really show up with empathy, with understanding and with their true self to really navigate their teams and organizations through effectively. I have so many questions. So don't get mad if I go all over. No, 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 please. <laughs> One of them is I see so many organizations that have DEI goals and they don't necessarily have metrics in which to like hold themselves accountable for them. How and imagine being where where from where you sit, you have had a an opportunity to see a little bit of the change of of this arc, but like, how can we do better? And how can people, one, how can leader and leadership and executive teams do better? But also for those who are just in general workforce, is there a way that they can promote those goals and help an organization move along in that direction? Yes. Yeah. Great question, Joy. And I think the first thing has to be stopping the separation of their diversity, equity, inclusion from their strategy and business operation. It needs to be embedded into not only what they do, but how they do it. So it needs to be embedded from everything in the philosophical approach on culture, on behaviors, on the values. It has to show up because if it's not felt and actually experienced then everything you do from a commitment or an ambition, it will feel very disingenuous. And you won't have the accountability of your leaders and managers because they know when we talk about an organization, we talk about who they are, the mission and the values and what you're purporting to as the purpose of the organization. If that is separate from how people are showing up, and what your recruiting strategies are and how or what you are promoting or actually giving value to or not and what you're not and excluding, that is where you're going to have a credibility issue. And this is where you see a lot where organizations may end up on these lists, which I think the lists are good because it does show effort. However, what we see oftentimes is that they may end up in these great lists, but when you actually go to Glassdoor or any of these kind of other sites where they talk about the experience, it is a drastic difference in what employees feel. And I think now there is definitely has been a movement. And I think a lot of it is because 
of the social unrest and more of the visibility that organizations are taking and stepping up and saying, we have to do better in tangible ways, making ambitions, but understanding that also means people processes that actually mirror them, creating conditions in the organization that once you do get diverse talent and once you do get those diverse leaders, that they're in an environment where they can survive, but also thrive. And really making sure that you put people in place that represent the diversity that you have and the diversity of your marketplace, of your customers, of your patients. Because without that, you're not going to be able to actually have your managers or even individual contributors believe, see, and feel that there is a pathway of growth because they don't see the representation of that. And so I do think starting with the what the organization stand on, the mission, the values, the strategy, and really having that embedded into a very integrated way into how those operations, because just as you have a strategic goal that you place and you have, how are, how am I going to make, get there? When you have a yearly annual strat, you just strat planning, you actually outline the ways that you get there. It should be the same thing and integrated into how you already run your business. So are there any examples, like people are always looking for somebody to follow. Are there any like great examples within healthcare as organizations that you say would be more like, like this group? Yeah, I think a lot now you see the healthcare systems are doing a great job, the Kaiser Permanentes, and they are able to do it because they do it on a community basis, which really makes sense. They actually make those goals internally, but they actually partner with the cities that they organize and making sure they get health advocates, they get nurses, they actually see what are the needs, what are the obstacles they address. And that's what actually structures and builds their strategies for diversity and equity inclusion that then carries through into how they'd really drive their healthcare outcomes and support within their systems. I do see much more accountability in the pharma companies, right? Like the J&Js and the Pfizer's. And you have much more of that bridging where it's not just done as an activity, but you're doing DEI and patient segmentation. You're doing it looking at the underutilization of a particular gender or race or ethnic or age group on a, for a particular disease area. You're actually working with your CSR, your corporate social responsibility partners to think about how do we do focus on the patient, but also focus on the conditions that the patient lives in, the accessibility to therapies, how to actually live healthy lives to avoid these disease states. So you see more of a holistic integration and approach, which I'm hopeful will maintain. And I'm hopeful because with the presence of COVID and the pandemic, there has been an essential and critical need to really address this so that we as a country can actually come to a point of really getting control and stopping the pandemic. And that need had to address all of those disparities that did not allow certain communities, group of people have access to vaccines and to the education needed to prevent the transmission right. of COVID. You know, I, I tend to think in terms of like reimbursement too. What are the incentives? What are people incentivized to do? 
And I, I have a bit of subject matter expertise in like the transition to value-based care. And when I, what's hitting for me is thinking about like improvement activities, where if somebody wanted to take a project of looking at their community or looking at a particular condition or disease state and asking the question of how could we serve them better or how could we do a better and incorporating that into what they end up submitting or attesting to for that year's value-based care or risk risk contracts. And Absolutely. I just think of like tangibly, okay, yes. instead of it being just a big idea of how would you do it, what are the actual steps that an organization, yes. regardless of size, could get into it? That they're being also incentivized for good behavior, for work that goes in that direction, No. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you hit it on the nose. As you look at what is that value-based care and what does that look like? What does that look like from a patient perspective, from an accessibility, Mm -hmm. even as far as education, like Mm -hmm. literally as education, what are those ideas and either the cultural barriers that are either supporting the education and, and their ability to deal with certain disease states or those things that are preventing them. And we all know about the Tuskegee experiment with an African-American community and having a huge fear on anything that has to do with massive governmental medicines, like which we're seeing with the COVID vaccine. We're seeing the remnants of that. But I do think having, being very methodical and purposeful and developing those steps of the patient, of the access, of the community, of the education, and, and recognizing that it is different that there are differences for very different reasons. And in order to have that kind of strategic steps, as we talked about, you also have to have those insights inside your organization, right? right? right. You need to have the individuals from that communities or at least partner with agencies and consultants and healthcare advocates that can help you really connect with them in a meaningful and relevant way. I think even you pointed out earlier, just asking the question around, does your organization reflect the community that you're serving? And if not, how can you rebalance? Yes, exactly. And I mean, and as minimal as that may seem, I can tell you that is the largest and most significant challenge that healthcare organizations reflect because there is very much a lack of representation for women, for people of color. And what we don't see is really the growth and development internally with this strategy inside, with with the purpose and saying, hey, we need the insights, we need the education, we need the relevancy at all stages of the development if we're going to help serve the community or if we're going to be in the healthcare system and understanding the communities we operate in. And if we talk back to linking it to strategy, that is absolutely a strategic imperative <laughs> that has a direct impact on what they do and how they do it. I love it. So how did you get into this work? Is this something that you've always been, has been you've had your sights on? Did you study the, to go into this? You know what? I did not. So I got into it just working in organizational development when I was in Bristol-Myers Squibb. And one of the roles I supported was a research and development function. And at the time, there was a strategic operation that was being developed to have an R&D center off of the shores of the U.S. And Bristol Myers Group was the first to do that in Bangalore, India. So I actually worked with all of our discovery teams. So these are our chemists, our immunologists, our clinical discovery teams, and traveled to India, I can't, numerous times, and really set up 
the operation of how we can actually get a product, an asset from development to commercialization. And so my role was how do we actually have the teams really come together to be able to actually have the discovery working groups, the communication, decision-making, leadership on both sides. And what I found is that I ended up working a lot on global leadership, cultural competence, team effectiveness. Those were really the core of the work that I did. And quite frankly, had such an impact on the team dynamic work that we did with the universities in India, how we actually onboarded the leaders and the managers of those teams, the communications and operating norms of the discovery working group, that those kind of elements of equity, inclusion, the respect and value from for diversity was at the center. And I then ended up going into a center of excellence that was created, that was diversity, equity, inclusion, so we can actually take that model to our other markets. Okay, so there, I feel like you probably have lessons from that time in your life and that work <laughs> that could expand much farther than the time we have together at this, during this episode. But if somebody wanted to find any of those resources or like, where would you point somebody to get some of the, I'm sure, media information and like good juicy stuff that you learned during that time. I think when you say information, you mean just overall the... When you're talking about things like coming, like DEI being at the center of what it is that you're doing, if somebody wanted to embody that and they don't currently embody that, how would they get from where they are to where they are trying to go? I see. One of the things that I always say that it has to be a very distinct journey for each organization because it's reflective of the culture. Okay. The operating norms, both which are purported and which are unwritten norms, and also what the expectations of leaders are. And so from our starting... I say the first thing you do is really do that internal due diligence. You look at what are your hiring stats? Who, what, where are you hiring? Mm -hmm. Look at your leadership representation. How diverse or non-diverse is the leadership team? And how does that reflect the patients, the customers, partners, stakeholders? How does that reflect the communities that we operate in? Look at your people processes and what the outcomes of those processes are. What are your ratios for representation at every level? And do you see those ratios remain consistent as the levels increase in the organization? Are you seeing the same consistency around promotion? Are you seeing the same consistency around leadership development, individuals that are targeted as key talent, those that are named on succession plans? So those are all of the kind of internal due diligence that if done correctly, literally, Joy, you will have a roadmap (laughs) of the first actions for you to do. Because depending on what that looks like and how it is managed, when I say managed, what is the system that is supporting that or not? Because in some instances, if they're at the beginning, there may not be a holistic indicator that is looking at all of those processes and those tangible data points together and then coming out and make a very strategic analysis and saying, 
This is what needs to be done. This is where we have our greatest opportunity. This is why. And once you have that and really being able to pull that together, you'll be able to have a very in-depth kind of overview and assessment on your health, your DEI health. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, then make the decision on what or how you will do. Because also you have to recognize that this is something, this is, this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. And to do it right, you really need to start with the foundation. How do you shift those things that are fundamental and that can actually be built upon right. and actually be implemented so that you will then be looking at how you are not only changing a number for a quarter, but you're looking at how are you shifting the way that you operate and how that is woven into the fabric of your daily operations, because that's what success looks like. It sounds like a lot of the result is implicitly building trust. Like it, by going through these exercises, you would be building trust, not just with your patients and your community, but even internally with your employees and like that, the Absolutely. process, like the, the end result of going through that process is having more trust within your organization as time goes on. And that's not a quarterly, like you can't just be like, hey, yeah, how do you get exactly. somebody to trust me real quick? And I can tell you right now that is so critical with the NASDAQ coming out with their diversity rule in August. And you have most of the asset managers like BlackRock and Alliance Capital now having diversity expectations. That is even more becoming more critical. And that's where I do see, and this is what I said earlier, that I am encouraged because I do see that there is more effort on building that trust and building that trust through credi credible actions. Yeah. Being credible, saying, so, go, so going for those, those awards, but also having being the incredible, internal right. activities and work being done that really reflects those efforts. Can you talk for a moment about what came out in August? I'm totally... Not it's not on my radar. Yeah, so NASDAQ came out with a diversity rule that actually says that all companies that perform on the NASDAQ are required to have one woman and one person of color on their boards. And if they don't, they have to communicate why. They have to have some stated evidence as why. And so basically that why is what are you doing to actually gain the diversity? What are your plans? How recognizing that it's going to shift overnight. But this follows what, quite frankly, living in Europe, which it was pervasive in all the European countries, there's an expectation not only to having a percentage of women on boards, which in France it was 40%, and in UK, Switzerland, Germany, you have to have 20, 20s and 30%. But now even going down lower in the organization, looking at your XCOM, your CEO leadership team and having that expectation. So I say all that to say is that there is not going to be a time where the expectations decrease. There's, we're not going to go back to the days that it's going to be, I, you look like me or I see myself in you, therefore I'm going to promote and hire you. And pervasive action happens across all the organizations. So we have a very homogenous group of leaders and employees. And so what it has done is really made organizations saying, not only do we need to have it, but how do we sustain it? So it's different when you're looking at just to your point, a quarter or looking at your earnings call, but how can you really talk about it? Because now these are on an earnings call because of the NASDAQ, because these alliance came, they want to know. So tell me about your gender balance. Tell me about your women in leadership. What are you doing to bring more board leaders on? How has your senior leadership team reflected your patients? This is where it needs to be. We, and quite frankly, 
the fact that we have to have, you know, these mandates and expectations is wonderful and is necessary. However, this is just good business. Yeah. It should be a yeah. part of making sure that there is that reflection and representation of the constituent you serve. So I have a detail, one specific question. Can the board reflect, can the woman and the person of color be the same person or does it require two separate people? On the so it's usually two people, but it could be one. For example, it could be me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, a, a woman, a woman of color. I'm a woman of of color, but it, there it is expectation for two. two okay, walls. good. Okay, good. All right, I was looking for some good news today. That is actually great news. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you it after we end this. I'll send it to you in the chat. I would love that. Yes. Okay. My next question for you, really, you mentioned earlier that you have a daughter. If there was any piece of advice or things, what do you want for her future? What would you pass on to her as a woman, potentially independent, going into the world? What would she need to be successful? Which it's always tough as I'm, I work in this field and, and this is my passion. But then I look at your daughter as a mother, it takes it even to a higher level because you're like, this is my legacy. This is the future. And what I would tell her and really advise her is just to really stand in her truth and her power and not minimize her, just to feel accepted or to feel that she needs to do that to be able to have six and to be able to be accepted. I say that because so often as Black women, not only the narratives we tell ourselves, but the images that we we see and we see as a part of success sometimes don't fit us. One, the color of our skin, which we can't get away from that, but even with the texture of our hair, like wearing your hair straight, considered professional. And when you wear your natural hair, you may not have opportunities and or may need to be told to be more professional, which I was. <laughs> and so now you have things like the Crown Act, which is legislation that was driven by Dub Company, but that now has been approved in over 18 states that specifically protects um, the discrimination of people against their natural hair. And it's now I think it's on the docket for another nine more states to come into law. But I would absolutely recommend and tell her to stand in your power, love yourself and believe in the gifts that you have and you're going to unleash in the world and know that is enough. Yeah, yeah. I love all of that. And I didn't know about the death. Yes, it's it's called the so crown. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dove, yeah, was the one who started it because they wanted to, to challenge the image of beauty, um, which I think that they're doing a fantastic job. I love all the images of the different body shapes and sizes and types, but they also did that with a texture of hair. And a lot of the states actually signed on to take their legislation and put it into practice. And this is where you see right now, kind of with the or private companies, public institutions, social advocacy groups really culminating to really shift how we operate in terms of inclusion, in terms of social practices. And I think it's a wonderful thing. And I see it continuing, right? We saw yeah. the Marriage Equality Act, right? We saw so many companies sign the amicus brief that put that into law, so many laws. We see it with the ADA, American Disabilities Act, and now we see it with the Crown Act. And, the, and again, I say that, I want to impress that it is 
not just the flavor of the month, but what we're seeing is a culmination and then the acceptance of people really truly being their authentic selves. And these institutions, private, governmental, supporting that and ensuring that there's protection and an ability, you know, for people of all, you know, backgrounds, lifestyles, races, genders, to be able to give equal opportunity. And I think it's a wonderful thing. And it's not going to... It's not going to, that's not going to decrease either. (laughs) No, I'm starting to see more and more when you go into stores, just regular shopping to see the mannequins of different body shapes and sizes. And it's even in athletic stores where I'm like, yeah, this is great. And I remember when Dove first started with their campaigns of loving different body types and it was in the early O's. I remember trying to convince my mom to go out for, I was like, mom, there's a casting (laughs) call. You should go try it. (laughs) He was like, like, oh, I don't know, joy. <laughs> That's wonderful. But, but I, what I love about it is it's really not only the acceptance from society, but what's more important, and I think is much moving, is helping people accept themselves. For sure. Because they see themselves. Yeah. A hundred percent. Wema, I've really enjoyed this time together and I want to share with our audience, like how, if somebody wanted to work with you, if they wanted to follow you, how would they do so? What would be the best way to get in touch or get on your radar? Absolutely. So I have a website. It's uh, www.waymohoover.com. Simple. You can follow me on Instagram, Wema Hoover or Be Limitless. My company is Be Limitless Consulting. And you can reach out to me at b-limitless at waymahoover.com. And as I said, so happy to be here to share and to just hear your perspective. And I just want to congratulate you on what you're bringing to the audience and to all the constituents. I think it's so very necessary. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.